Well, uh, we, have, we have spent three weeks going through the book of Hosea. We have not hit every single verse. If I did that, I haven't told you why I didn't do that, but if we did that, uh, I would have to throw in so much history uh, that it would bore all of you to death. And I don't want you to die. And so because I don't want you to die, I didn't do that. And so we've really, uh, we've looked at different parts of, of Hosea. We've seen uh, really everything that that Hosea is about. Um, we, there's so much history in each little line sometimes uh, that uh, some of it I don't even know. I'm like, I have to look that up in a dictionary and then I have to read like four or five pages on this one thing. And I'm like, okay, I got through that half of a verse and then I'm going to have to go to the next one. And uh, so there's just so much and it's so rich. Uh, But I think we've had a really good time in the book of Hosea. I've really enjoyed uh, all of us going through it together. I know some of you have not been here for uh, the last three weeks. And uh, especially because tonight's a one, I have, we have extra people in here. Um, which I'm really excited about. But uh, because of that, I really wanted to give a quick overview. I'm not going to bore you. uh, It's not going to be like an hour of review uh, or anything like that. But I really kind of want to give us uh, just kind of a Cliff Notes version of the book. And I think it'll help us as we move forward because tonight uh, I'm really excited about what we're going to look at. So let me kind of sum up first for you, okay? Uh, We're just going to catch everybody up to speed. If you didn't know, Israel and God had a pretty rocky relationship. In fact, Israel, uh, pretty much in almost every single generation, uh, they would decide to follow God and they would fall away from God. Uh, And it just happened over and over and over and over and over again. And uh, God would do things so that he could communicate with his people again. And he, he would reach out to them so that they would come back to him, and they often did, uh, for a time. And then they would just fall uh, away again. And they always forgot of the many rescues and the blessings that the Lord had given them. Time after time, they find them, found themselves wandering away from God, worshiping false gods, going deep into idolatry, and then calling on God to save them. And that's really the context of this book. Last week, we actually talked about uh, idolatry here in Las Cruces. We talked a little about that. Um, I talked about uh, uh, San Juan Diego, all right? St. John Diego. Uh, (laughs) And uh, we also talked about the pilgrimage that people do from Tortugas, uh, the little little town, uh, all the way up to the top of the mountain. And they get there and they worship the Virgin of Guadalupe, which has something also to do with Juan Diego. So I thought it might be cool for you guys to see some of those pictures. Uh, So I, I have those pictures up right now. Um, so I kind of want to show you this. Uh, we talked about this one uh, last week. This is Juan Diego. Uh, in Mexico, he had a vision of, uh, of Mary. So Mary is, is uh, thought to have appeared to him. And when she appeared to him, he, she said, I want you to build a shrine on top of this mountain. And so he went to the bishop and he said, hey, Mary appeared to me. We should build a shrine uh, to her because she wants it on this mountain. And the guy's like, I don't believe you. So he goes uh, back and has another uh, apparition of Mary. And Mary says, uh, here's what you need to do. You need to go and take these ro- 
roses uh, to the bishop and he will, he will believe you. And so in the middle of winter, uh, Juan Diego gathers up all of these roses and takes them to the bishop and shows the bishop here, this is a sign from, uh, from the Virgin Mary. And uh, this is why we should build uh, a shrine. And so he listened. And so now we have, uh, we have obviously, uh, the Virgin Mary is, all, is, is, is worshiped all throughout uh, the Americas. And we also have now an idol of Juan Diego. And so these are things you can actually buy. Uh, I did not purchase that after I bought it because I don't do that. Um, but if you look at, at the idol, it really, it really kind of talks about the story. You see, uh, the Virgin Mary is there. It's, it's said that as he got to the bishop, he opened his cloak, the roses fell out, and that uh, there, was, there was like a picture of uh, Mary inside of his robe. And so you kind of see that. Uh, and there's the roses uh, and everything. And, and so Juan Diego uh, is now worshiped as a saint. I believe it was like 19... I, I want to say it was somewhere around 1993 or something that he uh, was was kind of inducted into the saints uh, of the Catholic Church, and so that's he's a real saint. You can pray to him now. Uh, even all the miracle and everything didn't just go to Mary uh, in this case. And then you have uh, Mary, uh, which is the next slide, and this next slide is actually on top of a mountain. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there, but if you hike up, you can see this little uh, thing, and there's usually some kind of a statue in there. And so people in our own town go up the mountain, and they pray to Mary there, uh, and this is, this is idolatry. Um, no matter how they want to paint over it, this is idolatry. It is not uh, a good thing that we go and we worship or pray to anyone else uh, but God. And so, uh, so you have Juan Diego there, and you have, uh, the, I think it's Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe, which is uh, the, the Virgin of Guadalupe. Uh, and then I have one other slide that I wanted to show you. This is uh, on top, this is, I, I think, the 15th of December, uh, and people go all the way up, and then you have, they have a service there, and you can see people uh, really just bowing um, to, to these statues, and it's, it's a hard thing to look at. I don't like looking at it, uh, but it's a reality, and that was the reality of when Hosea was giving his message to the people of Israel. Now, it wasn't the same idols, obviously, different place in the world. Uh, the Israelites usually fell into Baal worship, uh, not uh, Mary worship and not Juan Diego worship, uh, but idolatry nonetheless. So uh, nearly with every gener Israelite generation, God's people had left him and abandoned him and found themselves deep into Baal worship. They had broken their special covenant with God, all right? And they had prostituted themselves out and served other false gods. So God had a plan to speak to his people. And his plan's name was Hosea, all right? And Hosea would speak to the people, to, to God's people, and tell them what you're doing uh, is wrong. And God also decided to use Hosea's marriage as a, like a living illustration of what God wanted to show the people as well. And so not only do you have Hosea speaking forth God's word, you have Hosea living out God's message. And it was a tough one uh, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks. Uh, so God used Hosea. Hosea to speak to the people of Israel, to bring them back to the Lord, uh, and used his marriage to serve as an illustration of the deep spiritual adultery that Israel had committed against God. So because God's people had prostituted themselves out to other gods, God told Hosea, 
I want you to go and marry a prostitute. And uh, Hosea's eyes got about that big and is like, why in the world would I do that? And God says, well, it's because my people have prostituted themselves out. And so Hosea is to go and marry uh, a woman and he finds a prostitute and her name is Gomer. It's a beautiful name for a woman. Any Gomers here? No, I don't think so. Uh, He married her. All right. Hosea married her. Hosea cared for her. He was a loving husband to her. It was a regular marriage. He had a real marriage and it went well. And they even had three children together. Now, God also came to Hosea and he says, here's what I want you to name uh, your children. I want you to name one more or less bloodshed. I want you to name the other no mercy. And I want you to name the other not my people. Um, now, those don't seem like real names to us. They're actually, uh, if you have the, the Hebrew, sometimes the Hebrew is in, the, uh, in your scripture as well, but that's what the translation is. Those uh, were the children's names. And at some point in their marriage, Gomer leaves her family and she broke her marriage covenant and she committed adultery on Hosea. And just like the people of Israel, had broken their covenant with the Lord, she broke her covenant with her husband. And the Lord called Hosea to go and find her and to buy her out of slavery and to love her as a wife again. Now, why would God do that? Well, because don't forget that the the theme of this entire book of scripture, the book of Hosea, is all about God's love, that he continues to love us even if we break our covenant with him. And this is the case uh, with Israel. They broke their covenant with him. When he found them, they were dirty and they were helpless and they were unworthy. And he decided to have a covenant with them. And after he made that covenant with them, they decided to break that covenant, leave him for other gods. All right. So you can see how the parallel is between them uh, and God and Hosea and his wife. So We have learned from all of this that God made a covenant with this dirty, unworthy Israel and called Hosea to make a covenant with a dirty, unworthy woman. And then he called Hosea to continue loving his adulterous, covenant-breaking wife, just like God continued to love his spiritually adulterous, covenant-breaking people. And God's unrelenting love for his people is the theme of this book. And it really shows as Hosea continues to love Gomer despite of who she is, in spite of who she is. Even when they break his covenant, God still loves unconditionally. So that's the sum up, all right? I didn't take too long to do that. So now you guys kind of understand the book of Hosea. That's that's what it is. It's a parallel between God's relationship with Israel and what Hosea's marriage looks like with Gomer. Uh, one of my favorite subjects, uh, is, is hermeneutics. I love teaching hermeneutics. If you don't know what hermeneutics is, it's a really fancy word for how to interpret the Bible. Okay. So if you're thinking, uh, of when you read scripture, sometimes you come across something kind of hard and there's actually some rules that you can apply to make that a little easier to go through. And that's really what hermeneutics, hermeneutics is. Uh, it's, it's really a science and it's an art. It's a 
science in that rules apply, and it's an art in the more that you apply those rules, the better you get at interpreting scripture. All right? I wish that I had come up with that, but that's from Hank Hanegraaff. He says that, and I just copy him, and it's really good. Uh, So I want to talk to you for a second uh, just about a couple hermeneutic principles, one that really uh, sheds a lot of light on on the book that we're in here. Um, so one of the rules in interpreting scripture is the literal principle. Okay. You have to interpret scripture in the sense in which it was written. All right. So that means if I approach the book of Psalms and I, I'm going to understand that the Psalms are songs and that they're very poetic. All right. If I'm in the book of Exodus, it's not a very poetic book and it's not songs. And so I'm not going re- to interpret those two uh, books of the Bible in the exact same way. I'm going to interpret this one more like poetry, and it's probably going to use a lot of imagery and things like that. When I'm reading Exodus, it's very historical. These are the things that had happened. This is what God did. This is what the people of Israel did. This is what Moses did. And so it, it's very uh, cut and dry in the historical books. Then we get to books like Revelation, which the pastor just went through. Apocalyptic literature, all right? You can't interpret apocalyptic literature like the book of Revelation and Daniel like you do the book of Exodus. Because if you get to the, to the book of Revelation and you just read it word for word and take every single thing exactly how it's written, you're going to come up with a lot of weird stuff out of the book of Revelation. So there's a lot of imagery there. And so the literal principle says, why don't you handle each book of the Bible in the sense that it was written? So if it's apocalyptic literature, you should understand a little about apocalyptic literature. Things that they say, things that they over-exaggerate, and things like that. Uh, If you're reading a historical book, don't expect it to have a whole bunch of flowery language and things like that, and just interpret it for what it is. This is what happened, and that's how it went. So that's one of the principles uh, of hermeneutics. One of the other principles of hermeneutics is called the Christocentric uh, principle. Now, I love just throwing out big words. If you really think about it, that's actually not too big a word. Christo is Christ, all right? Centric is centered on Christ. And so a Christocentric principle, as we interpret scripture, would, we would want to look at every single uh, book of the Bible and see what this could possibly say about Christ, all right? How does, how does this book relate to Christ? Now, every single word and every single sentence in Scripture does not point to Christ, but the Old Testament as a whole does point to Christ. And so uh, I think it's a very worthwhile task to search through some books and with, with much care, I don't want to go in and say, this is, this is Jesus, and this is Jesus, and this is Jesus, and this talks about Jesus, uh, because that's probably not the way that people would have understood it uh, back then. But what I do want to do is look at, uh, at Scripture and say, I wonder some of this, if some of this doesn't kind of picture Christ. Does something in this story really relate to how Jesus related to people on earth or how Jesus relates to us now? Uh, one thing I want to make clear is that the, the readers of Hosea and the people who would have heard Hosea's message and the people who would have seen Hosea's marriage would never, ever, ever have thought of Jesus, okay? Jesus wasn't alive yet. And so when we do this, when we go back and we look, how does some of this relate to Christ? 
I think we have to be very careful because we don't want to put too much into it, and uh, especially in somewhere where that doesn't really apply. So when we're reading through Exodus, just because Moses frees uh, his people from slavery, well, we don't say, well, that's Jesus. No, that's not Jesus. That was Moses. Now, Jesus does act in the same way. He's freed us from slavery to sin and things like that. And so we can look at some of the concepts and some of the ideas and see, wow, that's very much like, uh, like Jesus. One of the things that I like doing is to look at how the New Testament uses scripture from the Old Testament. So that's kind of where we're going to start tonight. I want to see what the New Testament writers said about Jesus that someone in the Old Testament, namely Hosea, because we're going through the book of Hosea, what they said about Jesus. All right. So the New Testament writers, they had the book of Hosea and some of them alluded back to uh, or quoted Hosea in their writings. And so we're going to look at probably the most famous uh, of these and really kind of the most, uh, the most fun. But I want you to remember that as we get into this, the people that Hosea was talking to, they were never thinking Jesus. We think Jesus because we know Jesus and we know everything that he's done and we've read scripture and we have this idea of Jesus and we want to see him everywhere. But they, they didn't. They didn't see him everywhere. Now, the New Testament writers had a little more insight, didn't they? Because they knew who Christ was. And so as we go through this, I want you to kind of uh, remember this. So this, this first one that we're going to look at, I think is probably the most interesting. Uh, Matthew quotes Hosea, and Hosea recalls a well-known historical event called the Exodus, and this one is specifically fulfilled in Jesus. So this is a really fun one, all right? So we're going to just get into this, and we're going to have fun. How does Hosea picture Christ? This is the number one uh, answer. If we were playing Family Feud, we would say, show us uh, the scripture that we're going to look at right now, and it's Exodus 3, 7 through 10. And I'm going to go over there. Exodus 3, 7 through 10. I'm not going to put this on the screen because we're going to be jumping a whole bunch of places and I just decided it was going to be too much. If you want to follow along in your uh, Bible, you can. This is uh, under the title of the burning bush. So if you just need a little context, this is when uh, God speaks to Moses through this burning bush that is not consumed. And this is what God tells Moses uh, right here. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in, in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, God says to Moses. And I have come down, Moses, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send to you, I will, I'm sorry, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring out the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So 
So there we have uh, God telling Moses, Moses, my people have been in bondage and it's been for too long. And so I have heard their cry and now it's time for me to save them. And I'm going to use you to do it. And Moses says, all right. So God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get all of my people out of Egypt. All right. Now, keep that in your mind. And we're going to go to Hosea 11.1. I'm going to flip over there as well. All right. Now remember, Hosea is talking to the people who, are, who have been entrenched in idolatry. Uh, and God is speaking to them using the prophet Hosea. And this is what he says. When Israel was a child, okay, he's talking about the whole nation. When Israel was a child, when I was in my beginning stages of my relationship with them, I loved him. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Listen to this. And out of Egypt, I called my son. All right? So you have this amazing passage that Hosea, that God is talking to his people through Hosea using. And Hosea says, uh, here's what God says. God says he loved Israel as a child. And out of Egypt, he called his son Israel. All right. So all that's talking about is everything that we just read from Moses. God came to Moses and said, I'm getting my people out of Egypt. All right. So it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So uh, Hosea is just really going back to uh, uh, an earlier part in scripture and talking about what the Lord uh, had done. Now we're going to go to uh, Matthew 2 and we're going to go to Matthew 2.13. This is where it gets fun, all right? Buckle your seatbelts, guys. All right. So this is Matthew 2, and we're going to be in verse 13. And we're going to read 13, 14, 15, and then we're going to skip down to 19, okay? All right, here we go. Now, when they had departed... Uh, This is early. Uh, Jesus has already been born. He's with his parents, all right? So when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, Jesus's father, our earthly father, in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and go to Egypt, flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and he left to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, who? Hosea. Out of Egypt, I called my son. All right. So now we're going to skip down to 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream This is to Joseph again in Egypt. So while Jesus is in Egypt with his parents, Joseph and Mary, uh, he, has, he has a dream and an angel comes to him in the, in the dream and says, rise and take this child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. Remember, they're in Egypt. And his mother, uh, sorry, and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. 
But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, Hosea did not say that one, but we have here a prophecy from Hosea that links us directly to Jesus Christ. Now, remember, Hosea's audience wouldn't have made that connection. They would, they would have been impossible for them to make that connection. But what we have here is a prophecy uh, in the book of Hosea about Jesus that also has to do uh, with Israel being freed from Egypt. So God frees Israel from Egypt out of slavery. Hosea talks about it. And then Matthew, when he's talking about Jesus, says it's pretty important that we point out this, that Jesus ultimately fulfilled this passage in Hosea which means Jesus was really even, we can even talk about how Jesus wasn't, we wouldn't say that he was present uh, when Israel was taken out of captivity, captivity of, uh, of Egypt. But what we could say is that you can see some things happening that were already pointing to Jesus. Even in the very early days when Moses is freeing uh, the people from slavery uh, in Egypt. So it's a really, really cool thing. I want to look at, a, uh, at another one now. Uh, and this one will go to Hosea 1, 6 through 9 first. This should kind of excite you. I feel like you guys should be kind of giddy right now. <laughs> I think, it's, I think it's amazing. We, you know, the pastor always talks about this. The pastor always talks about the Old Testament being a book of what? Promise. He always says that, doesn't he? The Old Testament is a book of promise. The New Testament is a book of fulfillment, right? We hear that all the time, and it's absolutely 100% true. So what we're looking at in Hosea is, is how did Hosea promise the fulfillment that happened in the, in the New Testament? So it's, really, it's a really fun thing. What I like to say uh, is, uh, is that, that Scripture, uh, all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. In fact, we, we say all of Scripture points to Jesus. So that's really what we're doing. We're looking at the book of Hosea and seeing how Hosea points to Jesus, our one and only Savior. So this is uh, Hosea 1, 6 through 9. If you'll uh, remember this one, she conceived again. So Hosea is told to marry uh, Gomer and she has uh, a baby and now she conceives again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call your daughter's name, no mercy. If you want to know what that is, I can actually look uh, down and did you see it? Lo Ruhamah, okay, which means no mercy. All right, that low is actually no. For I will... Have, I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. He was going to do it. He wasn't going to let a war uh, do that. When she had weaned, no mercy, uh, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people which is uh, Lo Ami. And so uh, he says, that is to be uh, your son's name, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. 
And so uh, now I want to I see um, what the New Testament writers, somebody quoted that and it's actually found in 1 Peter. Peter quoted it, 1 Peter 2.10. And I'm going to get there. Sometimes you'll just skip right over it. It's a short book. First Peter 2, verse 10. And we'll give you a little more context. I'll read 9 as well. Peter says, but you are a chosen race. Now, Peter is writing mainly to Jewish Christians, all right? Jewish people who had accepted Christ and Christ was their Savior. They weren't just Jewish. They had come to faith in Christ. He's also writing to Gentiles. Now, it's much smaller of an audience, but there are definitely Gentiles that are going to read his letter, and uh, they are definitely Gentiles who have also put their faith in Christ, and that's who Peter is writing to. So he's telling them, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Isn't that beautiful? Just goes right back to the book of Hosea. Hosea, name your children, no mercy, because I'm not going to have mercy on my people, Israel. Name your daughter, uh, name, sorry, name your son, not my people, because they aren't my people anymore, because they have decided that I'm not their God anymore. And Peter changes things, all right? He's not only talking about Israel. Hosea was only talking to Israel. God, through Hosea, was only talking to Israel in the book of Hosea. And he says, you're not my people anymore because you left me. You said, I'm not your God. And so I'm not your God. And I'm not going to have mercy on you because of what you've done. You've prostituted yourself to other false gods. And so all of that has 100% to do with only Israel. Peter brings it into the New Testament, and he changes it a little, and he finds ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ, who united the Jews and the Gentiles. And so he says, all of you who I'm writing to, once you were not a people, you were not God's people. Now you are a people. Why? Faith in Christ was the one thing that united those Jews in Christ, all right? And so Peter says, that's, that's for you, for you Jews. Same thing for you Gentiles, once you were not a people. But because you've placed your faith in Christ, now you are a people. And I will have mercy on you, and I will uh, call you my people uh, again. So the very fact that Peter is bringing this verse up from Hosea to his readers, who are largely Jewish Christians, solidifies the idea that now they have received mercy and they're God's people, not because they were Jewish, but because of Jesus. And they received God's mercy through Jesus' appeasing sacrifice on the cross, just like the Gentiles did. They were now God's people because Jesus had removed their sins. Paul in Romans 9 actually also quotes these same verses and makes a direct analogy to Gentiles who were not God's people, but who now are. 
So those are two of probably the main uh, verses that quote and the main authors that quote uh, Hosea. There's actually a few more. If you want to write these down, you guys can look them up yourself because I don't have all night with you. Uh, The pastor said you need to end right around seven. And so I'm going to have to end right around seven. Romans 9, 25 through 27, Matthew 9, 13 and 12, 7, Luke 23, 30, John in Revelation 6, 16, and 1 Corinthians, which the pastor is going to go through starting next week, 15, 55. So you can uh, look at some of those. So I'm going to close real quick. I think it's so easy for us to also see Jesus in this passage because we can clearly see how Jesus loves us like he loved his people Israel in the book of Hosea and like he called Hosea to love his unworthy uh, wife. We can see his unconditional love. It's really interesting to think of the people that Jesus was spending time with. It was always tax collectors. It was always sinners. He had encounters with prostitutes, and he showed them love. He had encounters with adulteresses, and he showed them love. And so we can see the love of Christ all throughout uh, the book of Hosea as well, because we see how Christ exhibited the same kind of love. And I think the last thing that I really want to point out is the redemption in this story. And we talked about that a tiny bit uh, last week, but what we see is God's redemption of his people. And we see that in Hosea's relationship with his wife. Hosea, she leaves him and Hosea goes because he's called by God to go. He goes, he finds her, he buys her out of slavery. He redeems her. He buys her out of everything that she had gotten herself into. I think it's so wonderful to see the story of redemption in the book of Hosea, because we know of Christ's redemption, don't we? We know that if we really think about it, we probably identify with Gomer most in this story. We're the unworthy person. We're unclean because of our sin. And Jesus Christ has sought us out and bought us out of our slavery to sin. It's a beautiful beautiful picture of redemption in the book of Hosea that really points forward to our ultimate redemption in Jesus Christ. I want to close right now by reading verse 14. And in verse 14, what I really like uh, is that you can see uh, God urging Israel to come back in repentance so he can redeem and restore him. So I'm going to go back here to Hosea chapter 14, and we're going to finish with this. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your sin and your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Here's what you're to take. Here's what you're to say to the Lord. Take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. Then God says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow and shall flourish like the grain.
They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am an evergreen cypress. From me comes all of your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. God is just urging his people to come back in repentance so he can restore, redeem them, and then restore them. And that's where we're going to end tonight. I hope you enjoyed the book of Hosea.